Live from WNUR News, I'm Zach McCrary. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD 1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Friday, October 21st, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, we look at a unique space for expression on campus, an exclusive sneak peek at the new movie, Black Adam, what to look forward to on election day and how you can get involved, and one effect concertgoers share after the main act leaves the stage. Those stories and more coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thank you so much for tuning in on this beautiful Friday evening. It's currently 5.59 p.m. Our top story. There are many ways to support sexual advocacy on campus. One way is by creating spaces for expression. Amanda Suataki has the story. Sexual health and assault advocacy takes many forms here on Northwestern's campus one of which is the clubs that occur through the Center for Awareness, Response, and Education, otherwise known as CARE. There's SPEAK, a student advocacy group against the normalization of sexual and interpersonal violence. There's MARS, a peer education group for masculine-identifying people, touching on things like healthy masculinity to rape culture. There's SHAPE, a peer education group that presents on survivor-centered care, sex positivity, and social justice. I joined SHAPE because I wanted to be involved with the amplification of sexual health resources. Advocacy can also be seen through participating in protests for abortion accessibility, writing op-eds in the student publications about the Title IX process, or creating spaces for expression. I find that art is almost always, it kind of is able to say the things that we're not able to put into words. And so a lot of aspects of trauma and mental health issues, you can feel it, you can see it, you can hear it, but you can't quite say it. I find that music, poetry, painting, and photography for me is a way to show everyone this is, this is what I mean when I say I'm hurting in this way. That's Osha Alar, a second-year student at Northwestern. I met her through SHAPE. She's the student worker for CARE and currently coordinating the CARE art show, Our Voice, Our Power, Reflections of Resilience. You can see it October 25th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. at Deering Library. So I didn't know that CARE used to have an art show before COVID happened. Alar works with CARE's assistant director of outreach, Kamara XL, to promote CARE's events but she also has a hand in orchestrating new events. So I was in a photography class last quarter and I did a project on my friend who had experienced the Title IX office all of last year. And we did kind of like an expose of like, I photographed different parts of her body and then I like collaged her back together, kind of showing how the school kind of ripped her apart and tried to put her together. And and I told Kamaria, I was like, God, like this, the class really gravitated towards this piece. And I was just kind of thinking, you know, I wish that we had some sort of art show. And I was in a poetry class the quarter before that. And a lot of people write about sexual assault or mental health issues. And I was just like, we should really have some sort of show for that. And she was like, oh, we actually used to have one. So how about you and I get that back up and running? So CARE has been planning its revitalization of the Resilience Art Show. I know Kamaria has like a master list of every like art collective on campus so we sent it out to that and we have a few flyers hanging up around campus we also put it on like an open call for art in all of chicago because it's not limited to northwestern students when asked about her goals for the show alar explains uh first and foremost i hope we get a good turn up <laughs> and people come in and i hope that 
they're able to really look at the pieces and take them one by one. Um, and also, part of this show, it's falling during Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we're focusing on domestic violence against indigenous folk. And so we're having a big exhibit of a bunch of different books that we've put together. So that's also going to be a part of it. So I'm hoping that people just really go through the pieces one by one and just take whatever speaks to them from it. CARE is known for its one-on-one counseling sessions. But with the art show, they hope to connect with the whole Northwestern community. Do you hope that this continues on for a bunch of years after? I would love that, yeah. I would love for a lot more submissions and for people to start creating for the show, too. I know, at least for myself, I'm going to be thinking about, oh, are we going to do this again this year and next year? And what can I present? What can I bring forward? So I definitely hope that it continues. CARE has collected pieces from poetry to paintings, giving spaces for creatives on campus. And they're getting ready for their exhibit on October 25th. I think for the artist, it's a chance to, well, first show something that they worked super hard on, but also goes back to that idea of like, here, this is how I feel. This is what's going on inside of me. So I think it's really validating for people to come and look at it and then appreciate that and have it even resonate with them, I think is a really wonderful thing. For many people, expression through art is part of their recovery from trauma. Art is able to give us a voice again in a lot of aspects when you feel small and unspoken from some sort of trauma, that art is a way to kind of bring you back and anchor you down and give you a voice again. For WNUR News, I'm Amanda Sutaki. Black Adam, set to open this weekend in theaters across the world, promises to lay the foundation for a brand new era of the DC Extended Universe. How likely is it to live up to that expectation, though? Here's Ella Barnes with the scoop. DC Extended Universe has had a somewhat rocky past, but that might all be about to change according to the stars of Black Adam. Set to debut this weekend in theaters, DC's latest blockbuster film is a passion project long in the making from Dwayne The Rock Johnson, his company Seven Bucks Productions, and Warner Bros. After months of being hyped to high heaven by its star Dwayne The Rock Johnson, we will get to see both how it performs and whether it has any lasting impact on the DCEU. The Rock created a meme when in one of his workout Instagram posts, he declared that, quote, the hierarchy of power in the DC universe is about to change, unquote. It became something of a refrain for how much of an impact The Rock expects Black Adam to have all across the internet. Through Warner Bros., I was given the opportunity to attend a press conference for the film over Zoom, in which The Rock, the cast, and the production team made similar statements about the impact they expect the film to have. Here's what producer Bo Flynn had to say in the matter. I mean, this is just the beginning, at least for, you know, if, if we have our way and if the world, you know, kind of shows up and raises their hand for these characters, which I, I mean, I just think they're so cool and dynamic and complex and interesting. We want we really did want to tell the story in, in a slightly different way again to have a lead of a movie be an antihero and be that Dwayne Johnson, who is so beloved. And as you were talking about his likability, but mm-hmm. also can really kind of 
you know, do some pretty hardcore things. Like that's such a cool balance and you haven't really right. seen that before. So for us, it's like, we just, we want to take these characters so many places. We talk about kind of the roadmap, we whiteboard all of this and, you know, it, there's an endless array of areas we can go with these characters, the Justice Society, Black Adam, and many other characters in the DC world. I mean, that is, I guess, part two of the dream and um, I definitely uh, bet on this team. Making the film was, well, there were, there were a few things. I think number one was to, we all wanted to uh, make a film that was different, unique, in this world of superhero genre uh, that has been so wildly successful over the years um, and has led our business for over a decade. So for us to come in and try to create a movie that was disruptive, that was different, mm. and there was a this narrative that, that we had been saying, and we were saying it even when we were making the movie, that we wanted to usher in a new era in the DC universe. That, of course, was Dwayne The Rock Johnson. The Rock claims that this hierarchy change and overall new take on a superhero movie is due to the originality of Black Adam's origin story. Black Adam, he claims, is not your average superhero. More of an anti-hero than a hero, Black Adam shows no reservations about killing his enemies, a line that some Cape Crusaders refuse to cross. Directed by Jome Colette Serra of Jungle Cruise, Black Adam marks the DCU's first major theatrical release since James Gunn's The Suicide Squad premiered simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max in August of 2021. The Batman with Robert Patterson doesn't count, as it is technically not part of the DCEU. Compared to Marvel Studios' frenetic release schedule, 14 months between DCEU releases seems like a long time. Not only will Black Adam end that drought, but it will also be one of the first opportunities to peek into a supposed new era of the DCEU as Warner Brothers ostensibly steeps away from the Snyderverse. Considering how heavily the Black Adam trailers have leaned into that Snyder-centric past, though, it remains to be seen how new and different this era will be. Although Black Adam is arriving three years after the release of Shazam, a surprise 2019 hit starring Zachary Le Levy, Warner Bros. originally had plans for the new movie character to star opposite his longtime comics rival, with Johnson remaining in the role. When the first draft of the movie came to us, it was originally a combination of Black Adam and Shazam, two origin stories in one movie. Now that was the goal, so it wasn't a complete surprise. But when I read it, I just knew in my gut, we can't make another movie like this. We would be doing Black Adam an incredible disservice. It would have been fine for Sam having two origin stories converge in one movie, but not good for Black Adam, Johnson told Vanity Fair. Johnson fought for his character to get his own starring vehicle, even if it meant delaying his DCEU debut by a few years, and his wish was granted. Well, you know, I think I would, I would love to say that we always had a vision of exactly when we were going to release the movie, but the truth is, is uh, we were just doing everything we could to get the movie ready, from development to making sure we were creating the best story for it, assembling the best team. Um, but, you know, Bo and I are big believers and everything happens for a reason, and we, you know, despite how long it took to make the movie and to get it made, this does feel like the perfect time for Black Adam to be introduced to the world. That was Hiram Garcia, president of production at Seven Bucks Productions, which helped work on Black Adam. Although the debuts were sold separately, the connections between Black Adam and Shazam are still strong. The lighter tone of Shazam and the more brutal brooding styles of Black Adam may have been at odds with each other had they been packaged together, but as Johnson has already teased, a crossover is imminent. Instead of mashing several major heroes into one movie, the hope is that these characters will have the chance to shine on their own before facing off with each other further down the line. The sequel to Shazam, Fury of the Gods, is slated for release next year, so by then the two characters may share the screen, a scenario that seems destined for a post credit scene. There was once a considerable distance between Shazam and the rest of the DCEU, 
But between the possible link between Black Adam and that character, along with Black Adam's connections to the Suicide Squad and the Justice Society of America, we're beginning to see the foundations of a bigger DC crossover event at some point in the not-so-distant future. But as volatile as the situations at DC and at Warner Bros. Discovery at large have been, including the recent cancellations of DC projects like Batgirl, no one knows what the future will look like. The level of success Black Adam has at the box office in the weeks to come will no doubt help determine that. Black Adam is set to release October 21st, 2022. From WNUR, I'm Ella Barnes. This year's midterm elections will be held on Tuesday, November 8th. Between registering to vote and deciding who to vote for, the next month will be an important time for Northwestern students who plan to vote. To help out, reporter Alex Harrison has a rundown of what you need to know to be ready for Election Day. Is two an even or Odd number. Even! It's an election year! That's right, Wildcats. It's once again election season. At time of broadcast, there are only 32 days until Election Day, held on Tuesday, November 8th. A huge number of seats at the federal, state, and local levels will be up for grabs. So needless to say, it's going to be a big one. To help unpack and prepare you for the big day, here is your top-to-bottom primer for the 2022 midterm elections. First things first, registering to vote. If you're a freshman or haven't voted before, you might not know where to start. If that's the case, there's a group on campus ready to help you through registration from start to finish. Northwestern has one of the highest rates of voter registration in the country, and we like to keep it that way. This is Weinberg senior Maddie Brown, a fellow in NU Votes, a voter registration and engagement group in the Center for Civic Engagement. She said the group hit the ground running on preparing students to vote as soon as the school year started. We just finished our sort of crazy three weeks of in-person voter registration and absentee ballot request stations. We were at dining halls, we were in Norris, we were at Wildcat Welcome, um, and we amassed just hundreds and hundreds of absentee ballot requests and first-time registration from a lot of freshmen at Wildcat Welcome and all of that stuff. Northwestern students can register to vote in either Illinois or in their home state. Illinois has same-day voter registration, which requires two forms of ID, one of which has to show you've lived here at least 30 days prior to election day. Brown said students voting outside of Illinois should check their registration and request an absentee ballot as soon as they can, since each state sets its own voting laws and deadlines. If you're not registered and you can register to vote online, if your state allows that, do it now because you only have two weeks left probably at the most because the election is so soon. And if you're going to vote by mail, do that now because you need time to get the ballot and then postmark it and all of the stuff that goes with voting by mail. She added that NU Votes is happy to help anyone navigate their state's voting laws, no matter how confusing or restrictive. We're really set up to handle anything, any any election questions, any requests, and we've seen it all. <laughs> we really have seen it all and we're prepared to tackle any state and any of the restrictions. Now that you have the how of voting down, it's time to think about the who, meaning who will you be voting for? Let's start with a bird's eye view. Because it's a midterm election, the president won't be on the ballot, but 34 Senate seats and the entire House of Representatives will be. On top of that, 36 states are holding elections for governor, with major toss-ups in Oregon, Arizona, Nevada, and Wisconsin. In Illinois, the marquee race is also for governor, 
as incumbent Democrat J.B. Pritzker runs for a second term against Republican State Senator Darren Bailey. Despite the media attention and high number of ads on the airwaves, polls show Pritzker holding a solid lead heading into the final month of the campaign. Further down the ballot, Republicans are making a play for the Illinois State Supreme Court, going after two open seats in districts which include the Collar Counties that neighbor Cook County. Winning both would give Republicans a 4-3 majority, and would likely have huge ramifications on issues like reproductive rights, gun control, and criminal justice reform. There are also two major referendums that will appear on the Evanston ballot. One is a statewide vote on a constitutional amendment, which would add the right to collective bargaining into the Illinois Bill of Rights. The other is just in Evanston, where residents will vote on whether to adopt a ranked choice voting system in city elections for mayor, city clerk, and city council members starting in 2025. To see what student organizers are doing ahead of the election, WNUR News reached out to both the College Democrats and the College Republicans. The College Republicans did not respond to interview requests. Medill Senior Ben Chasen is the Director of Public Relations for the College Democrats. He said the organization sees protecting reproductive rights as their top issue, following the ruling in Dobbs v. Jackson in June. Roe v. Wade was a national decision that applied to everywhere, and now that it is no longer standing, um, there are a hell of a lot of scary candidates running uh, in the state of Illinois. There's not that much standing between a Republican majority um, in, in some of the legislative chambers. Uh, and, and so I think we're focused on working with people like Laura Fine um, and, and, and Laurel Harbor-Jong, just about figuring out what we can do at the state level. Chasen said the org is also focused on educating its own members, especially newly arriving freshmen. He said the College Dems will hold a public event soon to introduce students to the local political environment, with a little help from the mayor of Evanston. We're having a crash course on Illinois politics and Evanston politics October 18th um, with Daniel Bisks. Um, he's agreed to come in and, 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 and talk a little bit about Evanston politics, about his experience with Illinois politics, because there was a lot of interest when we were talking like our initial meeting this year uh, with members. And they said, well, that's great. We want to get involved and we want to knock doors. We want to make phone calls, write letters, all the good stuff. And we're still going to do all of that. But we'd like to know, you know, what where do things stand? With the who taken care of, all that's left is the when and where. Brown said that as Election Day approaches, NU Votes will focus on helping students make and carry out their plan for voting. We'll be shifting to the sort of get out the vote phase of have you voted? How are you voting? If you're voting in person, what time and what day are you going to walk to the Civic Center if you're voting early, for example? And then on Election Day, last chance, are you going? When are you going to the Civic Center? How can we get you there? Chasen said that no matter which party students vote for, they should remember that their vote does matter, especially in down-ballot races, which can have just as large of an impact as federal races at the top. If you live in California, or you live in New York, if you live in, in some of these solid blue or red states, um, like many people at Northwestern do, um, there's like this conception that your vote might not matter even in Illinois. But there are things on the ballot, up and down, um, whether they're amendments, whether they're local races, um, there's a way to be involved and, 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 and to care um, and to make an impact with your vote. Watching the polls, this is Alex Harrison, WNUR News. This past May was a wild time for students on campus. With the ANO Flo Millie show, Omar Apollo concert, and many more live shows, the Northwestern student body had plentiful opportunities to get involved in Chicago's live music scene. But the unfortunate consequence of seeing these live performances is a phenomenon known as post-concert depression. In a special rerun from our May 6th show, Pari Pradhan takes a look at this effect.
Chances are, if you're a Northwestern student who is active on literally any social media platforms, last night all your feeds were flooded by concert footage. There was the Flo Millie a show, an Omar Apollo concert, a Saba concert. All in all, it was a big night for the music scene in Chicago. Of course, nothing beats the experience of being in the pit at the Riviera or Aragon, the thumping bass reverberating through your chest, the sweaty press of all the bodies around you as you sway, jump, and dance to your favorite songs. But what comes after those two to three hours of bliss? Lianne Krenziap, a psychometrician at Ateneo de Davao University in the Philippines, defines post-concert depression as, quote, the sudden, overwhelming, and rapid downward crash characterized by a feeling of recurring emptiness, disappointment, longing, and heartache after a very long-awaited, fulfilling high moment. It's the crash back down to earth after the three-hour high you experience at a concert. If you've ever found yourself unable to move on from a performance, constantly reminiscing and flipping through the photos you took, chances are you've experienced this phenomenon. I personally got back home from the Omar Apollo concert at the Riviera last night and proceeded to spend two hours lying on the floor in the middle of my dorm room in my brand new merch, going through my videos to try and relive the fun I was having just a few hours prior. Generally, people experience a sensation of euphoria during and immediately after the concert, followed by an extended period of sadness or anxiety, sometimes lasting weeks. Yap conducted a study analyzing BTS fans' experiences with post-concert depression and found that 90% of concertgoers experienced extreme elation immediately following the show. However, two weeks after the concert, 58.5% said they felt separation anxiety from the artist, 49% had difficulty concentrating, 37% lacked energy, and 44% felt generally sadder than usual. So while post-concert depression is not considered an official medical disorder as per the DSM-5, which is a primary resource used for psychological diagnoses worldwide, and cannot be compared to experiences of actual depression or other mental disorders, it is a clear cultural and social phenomenon and a shared experience for music lovers of all sorts. I talked to other students about their experiences with post-concert depression. Weinberg sophomore MJ attended the Omar Apollo concert last night and shared his thoughts from the morning after. He said, quote, It's the morning after the Omar Apollo concert, and I woke up with the sensation of fulfillment and happiness, but also sadness at the same time, because I'm not going to be living the experience of being in front of Omar again for a long time. Beanan and Weinberg sophomore Joy Cho also shared her experience after attending a Blackpink concert in Japan in 2020. The day before the concert, I was broken up with uh, my boyfriend at the time of two years. So I was having the most horrible day of my life, but I was so excited about the concert that I kind of just forgot about it and got ready for the concert. And I remember so vividly that the moment when Blackpink stepped on stage, I was crying so hard, so aggressively, and just could not believe that we were breathing the same air. And I had like the world's most magical day and um, when the concert ended, all I could think about was, oh my gosh, they're real people and I'll never get to experience that again because afterwards COVID had hit and that made the entire post-concert depression experience so much more difficult and all I could think about was how beautiful they were in person and how 
impactful their music was to me at the time. And that live experience was something that I cherish so much till this day. And honestly, I feel like I never got out of the post-concert depression. And the only way to really alleviate that for me was watching so many videos of like their interviews or performances, like everything I could just get a glimpse of that same feeling I got at the concert. While post-concert depression can be difficult to deal with, the best way to move forward is to keep enjoying the music you love and going out to see more live shows. In my opinion, one of the biggest perks of living so close to Chicago is the opportunity to engage in its bustling live music scene. Whether it's big name stars like Olivia Rodrigo or Harry Styles, or smaller local bands, there are plenty of chances for you to get out there and dance your heart out to your favorite artists. For WNUR News, this was Pari Pradhan. And now for some weather, some really good weather for once. Right now it's a sunny 71 degrees in Evanston and 73 at O'Hare. But after the cooling temperatures pause and give way to some sun over the weekend, get ready for the cold. Winter's coming, backed by a powerful La Nina. Helen Bradshaw, Nick Song, John Ferreira, and Emily Kim have the story. Hi, I'm Helen. And I'm Nick. This week we give you a look at your local and national weather. Plus, Helen and I finally schedule time to hang out now that my work schedule is free. We'll also talk about what's turning up on the West Coast, and we don't mean Olivia Wilde's vinaigrette drama. Hey, save it for the B-list. This, this is Fair Weather Friends. Who's the weather? Hey, I'm sorry again for bailing last week. My boss called me at the last minute and, you know, I want to make a good impression. No, yeah, it's fine. Um, here's what you can expect this week. Okay, well, despite the past few days of chilliness, this weekend honestly looks pretty nice and full of hope. In Evanston, you can expect mostly sunny weather with highs in the mid to low 70s which means Helen and I can walk around the lake bill like we've been meaning to. But as the work week picks up, temps may drop down again with highs in the 50s and lows in the 40s. The start of the work week might also coincide with some afternoon showers. No, not the kind Nick takes once a week. <laughs> the rain kind. So maybe wear some longer sleeves starting Tuesday. Well, although most of the East Coast and Southeast have seen cooler temperatures this week, that's expected to change over the weekend. This warmer weather looks like it's not going anywhere for too long this winter, as La Nina's presence should bring warmer than average temperatures to the southeast this winter. And bring more precipitation to the Great Lakes region. Oh, well. But what even is La Nina? Here are my newest fair weather friends, John and Emily, with more. Wait, what? Thanks, Nick. La Nina has a lot to do with trade winds, upwelling, and jet streams. But we don't have to get too technical. Helen, who are these people? Basically, warm weather moves toward Asia and chilly waves take over the Pacific. Is this about bailing on frisbee golf last week? I told you I was sorry, something came up. And cold ocean water pushes the jet stream up and what we're left with is rain along the northern half of the US and a super dry south. But like fair weather friends, it's our thing, like just between actual friends. Exactly. So what does La Nina mean for the weather? Well, seeing as though we're north, we can expect the jet stream to head our way. There will be a lot of rain, a lot of cold, and not much more sun. 
Ah, Chicago really has it all, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. We literally just talked about not having much sun for months. Huh. Not appearing for months in my life. Wouldn't know what that's like. Well, come on. It's not like you have all the free time in the world. Anyways, back to our resident hurricane experiencer, Helen. What's it looking like out there? Well, best friend John, it's actually really, really calm. At least in the Atlantic where my home is. In the Pacific, closer to where Nick is from, we have Tropical Storm Roslyn. Which is expected to strengthen up to a Category 2 hurricane before it hits Mexico's west central coast over the weekend. Helen, can we just talk this out? I have some misgivings about this whole... And that's it for Fairweather Friends. Hey, I was still talking. Join us next week for more weather updates. This This is Fairweather Fairweather Friends. Friends. Fairweather Friends. And now, let's take a look at what's going on around the world right now. Here's Margot Amuel with the headlines. Northwestern University trustee Kimberly K. Query and the Lewis Simpson Trust announced on Tuesday a new $121 million gift to Northwestern. The money will be used to advance biomedical discovery at the Feinberg School of Medicine and expand executive education at the Kellogg School of Management. Pfizer says COVID-19 vaccines will co- will cost $110 to $130 per dose without government support. The drug maker says many will still qualify to get the shot for free. The commercial pricing could start next year, depending on when the government phases out its program of buying and distributing the shots. Taylor Swift released her 10th album, Midnight's. At guess what time? Midnight. Here's producer Sarah Cadora's first take. Oh my god, it's so good! And UK Prime Minister Liz Truce resigns after six weeks, sparked by controversy over her economic policies. Much of this criticism emerged from her own party. Truce will remain Prime Minister until the members of her party choose a new leader. And that's all for WNUR News at 6. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR news stories on our website, wnur.news. That's wnur.news. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Sarah Kadora. Our reporters are Amanda Suetaki, Ella Barnes, Alex Harrison, Pari Pradam, Helen Bradshaw, Nick Song, John Ferrara, Emily Kim, and Margot Muall. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Zach McCrary. Catch us again next Monday, October 24th at 6 p.m. And now, back to scheduled programming.